So I have this rule uh, that I'm going to break today. Uh, I have the, this rule that I don't talk about funerals in consecutive sermons, but I'm breaking it today. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I, I did a sermon on grief, talked about funerals. It was pretty heavy. Uh, it, I, I think it was a good sermon. But uh, you, So if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it on our podcast. Uh, but this one's going to be a little bit lighter. Um, but I had this experience a couple years ago where I did a funeral for the father of a friend of mine who had passed away really suddenly. Uh, he was like 62 years old uh, and uh, just health was seemingly fine. And it just, it was a really, really tragic, uh, tragic thing. And the, the funeral was, as all funerals are, awful. But there, there were uplifting moments. And particularly when there was attention drawn to the, the friend group that he was a part of. The, this group of friends had grown up going to high school together. Uh, they had sort of fell out of touch as is, as is normal. Uh, but they had, in their 40s, had reconnected. Uh, and the last 20 years of his life, they were really, really close. They were, uh, they went on vacations together and the, the kids called the, the other one's uncles and, and it, it was just beautiful to see this, this, this deep relationship that was shared amongst them. And the relationship went beyond shared interests or shared stage of life or shared geography. There, there was something deeper. That was going on in this relationship. And I, I never was really able to, to suss that out and, and to see what that was. Uh, but coming out of that funeral, it really, really affected me. And I was, I was surprised by, by how much that stuck out. And, and it made me think about the relationships in my life, the, the kind of community that I had cultivated for myself and my family. And what I found to be true is that so many of my past relationships have been predicated on what is shared on the surface. Shared interests and stages of life, where it was that I lived. And and so often, once life changes, those relationships would tend to fall by the wayside. And and so many of us are at stages in our life where it's not easy to find real community. You know, when you, as you get older, you're, you become friends with the parents of your kids' friends and, and who you see at the bus stop and, and, and who shows up to the, the monthly meeting of whatever activity that your kids are a part of, and, and that becomes your friends. And, and while those relationships can be real and they can be helpful, they, they aren't uh, based on anything below what is shared on the surface. There's just not a lot of depth in so many of those relationships. And this is borne out statistically. There was a study done not too long ago where 52% of Americans reported of feeling lonely. 47% reported that their relationships really weren't that meaningful. And 58% of people reported that they sometimes or always feel like nobody knows them well at all. In a world where there are opportunities connect, to connect all around us, they seem like they're abundant, where we are able to connect with others through social media and email and text messaging and, and the busyness of, of our lives, all the activities we are a part of. How is it possible for so many to express this sense of loneliness? See, the struggle of loneliness 
is really a struggle of aloneness. It's not that our relationships are devoid of connection. It's that we feel as though we are alone in our challenges, our struggles in our day-to-day lives. The the people with whom we have surface-level relationships, they aren't really in the struggle with us. And the heavy burdens that we carry, we feel as though we carry them alone or, or as individual households. Most of the people in our lives are not really in our lives. And this is pervasive in in the suburbs where most of us live. Uh, You know, even looking at the physical construction of our neighborhoods and of our houses, if I want to, I can open the garage in the morning, pull out and drive to work, come home, drive back into the garage and, and close the garage door and not come out again until the next morning and not have any interaction with anyone around me. And I can do this for weeks. That is how we have constructed our world. You and I were designed for community. But a certain kind of community. One that transcends what is shared at the surface. We need a community that is built on covenant. So we're continuing this morning our First World Problems sermon series. We're looking at the Jesus solutions to suburban struggles. And as someone who has lived in the suburbs basically my whole life, what has been clear to me is that the pervasive problems of of stress and comparison and, and grief, which we've talked about already, and the problems of anxiety and entitlement, which we'll be talking about in coming weeks, the problem of of loneliness that we're talking about today, that these are real problems. Now, when we look around our world, we see problems everywhere that seem far greater than the struggles of our lives. And it's tempting to think, well, we don't really have it that bad. And, And in comparison, there's some truth to that. But first world problems are still problems. They still affect us. They still drain us of our energy and of our attention. And I believe that Jesus wants to bring life to all people regardless of where they live. I think he makes a real difference in the lives of people everywhere and that he has solutions to even these first world problems. And the Jesus solution to the suburban struggle of loneliness is covenant community. Now, what is it that I mean when I say covenant community? Like that sounds kind of official and involved and, and maybe a little intense and, and in its worst form, maybe even a little bit cultish. Like, what does that even mean? Well, in our gospel reading, we, we read of this healing interaction that, that Jesus has with a man who was suffering a skin condition. And he's often referred to as a leper, and, and he may have had actual diagnosed leprosy. Uh, that's a real thing that was at play in, in the first century and is still a thing uh, around the world today. But in those times, leprosy was sort of this catch-all term for all kinds of skin conditions. So you could say, be, be, it could have been said of you that you had leprosy and you had it in its extreme form, but it could also be a, a severe rash or psoriasis or, or something along those lines. And the problem in, in the first century, as happens in, uh, in religious life, 
is that there were these Old Testament laws that had to do with skin conditions that probably were given for really good reason. But that over time, through the religiosity of humans, through the interpretation of of these laws, it had been turned into this oppressive, heavy weight, heavy burden that was placed on people. And so if you were, if you were deemed to have one of these skin conditions, you were considered ceremonially unclean. Meaning that you could not be around people. You were not permitted to participate in the worship life of the community. You couldn't live in your home. You had to walk down the road announcing like you were ringing some bell, unclean, 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 even if it was just like a little bit of a rash. And there wasn't really fear of this being physically contagious. What people were really concerned with is that they would catch the ceremonial uncleanliness that you had. Because if you came into contact with a person who had been deemed unclean, that you would be considered unclean as well. And that's what people were worried about. And those with these conditions were cast out of their communities. They couldn't work. They couldn't be a part of the support network. And so they were relegated to to begging for for food. And and oftentimes they would organize into colonies to kind of at least have some degree of community. But that community was really just based on what was shared at the surface. Literally, what was at the surface of their skin was what bound them together. And so they were still on their own. They were still alone in their struggle. And so when this man comes to Jesus and he asks to be made clean, this request transcended merely a cure and into the realm of restoration. This man wanted to be restored before God and before the covenant community. To be re-inaugurated into this way of life the people of his day enjoyed. A common identity as the people of God. A common purpose of worship, of hospitality, of glorifying God and waiting for the day when God would set them free from the oppression that they lived under. Covenant community is not just about who you know. It's about a shared way of life. That's what this man wanted to be restored into. And he believed that Jesus could provide the way back if Jesus was willing. And so he asks, if you're willing, and Jesus says in verse 13, I do want to be clean. And he reached out and he touched him. And in doing so, he reaches across the barriers of religiosity and placed his hand on the life of someone who had been disconnected from the covenant community, re-inaugurating him back into the shared way of life of God's people. And don't miss this part. Jesus does this at his own risk. Jesus risks being deemed unclean to invite this person back in, to restore this person. He doesn't worry about what other people think of him. He doesn't worry about the threat to his own security and his own stability. He puts all of that at risk to invite someone else, to restore someone else, to re-inaugurate someone else into the community 
And he calls us to do the same. Covenant community provides a connection with God who then inaugurates us into a shared way of life. It transcends the surface level connections and connects us at the heart level. And in those relationships, we see others as those that God has brought to us to struggle together, to share burdens together, to live out God's mission in the world together so that we're not alone in living out our lives. These are the kind of relationships that you and I were created for. And the reason that I know this is that this is the kind of relationship that God exists in, in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, interconnected and interdependent. This is the image of God. And because you and I were created in God's image, our relationship with God and with others was intended to be just like that. The the early church created a life, developed a shared way of life together. They lived in covenant community with God and with others. And in Acts chapter 2, we read about all they did. We're told that they met together regularly, that they shared meals together, that they prayed and learned together, that they lived generously together. They didn't allow the busyness of their lives because their lives would have been incredibly busy just merely surviving. And in that covenant community, no one felt alone and others were inaugurated into a shared way of life. Now, certainly we're separated from hundreds of years of history and thousands of miles of geography. The shared way of life that they constructed might look different than the one that we would construct today. But God's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. This shared way of life is something that God wants for you and for me as well. The thing about God's covenant is that God's action necessitates a response. It's interesting that after Jesus heals the man, this is not the end of the story. It says in verse 14, Jesus said, Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses instructed. This will be a testimony to them. Now, certainly part of that testimony was for the priests to understand that all of the things they had been talking about and believing and praying for was happening in Jesus. But Jesus could have done this an entirely different way. He could have marched the man into the center of town, called everybody together, chastised them for their treatment of people with skin conditions on religious grounds, and announced this man restored to the covenant community with God and with others. That would have been a very Jesus-y thing to do. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he sends the man back to make his own case, to play a role in being re-inaugurated into the community, and again receive this shared way of life the covenant community had organized around. And just like that, you and I have a role to play. God is the one who initiates, 
God is the one who inaugurates. God is the one who acts. But you and I respond by embracing a shared way of life, by making that shared way of life a priority in our lives, and then making it easy for others to find their place in the covenant community God is inaugurating in this time and in this location. I was fortunate in my college years to be a part of such a community. I served as a a volunteer youth leader in Toledo. I was part of a group of about 20 people who served all around uh, in in the school districts in in Toledo. And, and, And part of that was us meeting together, praying together, living generously together, doing life together. And in that covenant community, nobody felt alone. Now, it wasn't perfect. Neither was the first century church perfect. That's why about half the New Testament was written, because they kept screwing it up. No gathering of humans can be perfect uh, because there's humans in them, right? But no one struggled with aloneness in that community that I was a part of. Now, to be a part of a covenant community today, it has to look different, right? Like, that was college, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a spouse. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a job. But God is acting in my life, in your life, beckoning us into a covenant community, into a shared way of life. We talk about that around here at King of Kings with with phrases like worshiping passionately and connecting deeply and living generously. Those aren't just buzzwords that some marketing company told us would look good uh, on our website and and posted on our walls. Those are are values of a covenant community, following Jesus with others beyond Sunday. What we do here is about way more than just coming to a church service. If you ever hear me talk about coming to Sunday, I don't say come to church. Because this ain't church. This is part of church. But there's so much more than that about being church than just showing up somewhere for an hour on Sunday. It's things like growth labs and life together groups and serving teams, whether it's inside and outside our walls. And as we live that out, that shared way of life, we become our truest version. As a family of faith, we are enacting the shared way of life that God has inaugurated us into. That is what the church is intended to be. And there are people all around us who, while not without connection on the surface level, who are carrying burdens that are too heavy to bear, and yet they think they are on their own in carrying them. And the the statistics bear it out, 50% of people. So here's the activity I want you to do. When you go home, Whatever home is for you, apartment, condo, neighborhood in, in, in the suburbs, wherever you live, go out on, uh, in, in your front door, look left, and then look right. One of those two places is a household that believes they are alone. And so what will you do with that information? How will you respond to the reality around you? God is acting in their lives as well. And is calling us to make it easy for them to find their place as part of the people of God in a covenant community together, living out a shared way of life. When they do that, when we do that, 
we all will find that we're never truly alone. And that is why the Jesus solution to loneliness is covenant community. Would you rise? A couple of questions will be up on the screen I'd invite you to consider as we close. What is your level of aloneness? And who in your network of relationships is struggling alone? So take a couple moments and reflect on that, and then I'll close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we stand before you as a people that cannot be helped but shaped by by the culture in which we live. A culture that, that fills our lives with busyness and demand, but in doing so drives us apart from others that keeps our our relationships on the surface level. Lord, that that tells us that we're too busy for true community. Lord, there's a reason that happens. That didn't just happen by accident. There are forces at play that benefit from us being siloed unto ourselves and unto our households. And yet that is not your will for our lives. Lord, help us to reject that culture to embrace the shared way of life that you call your people into, worshiping passionately, connecting deeply, living generously, that we might reflect the image in which we've been created and help others find their place in the covenant community to which they they too can belong. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.